So we're continuing this series uh, about Jesus, uh, no, about us, about his story of us, but it all ends up being about Jesus. So uh, his story of us, and last week we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000, what that looked like. He fed the 5,000, uh, and then after he fed the 5,000, he was aware that they were trying to make him king. So uh, he sends the disciples out into the Sea of Galilee again. Uh, and he does it on purpose. And there's this, in this great story, uh, we've, we've sung about it already, uh, Peter walks on water to Jesus. And so what we, what we get from this is that the adventure of faith in following Christ, God often invites us to take the risk of faith that we don't move forward without risk. I mean, it's even how, you know, it's how a lot of things work. I mean, you think about it, you, you, you didn't get to go out with that girl or that boy until you asked them. And they may have been leaving you hints, like uh, Landon's parents talked about uh, Landon's mom it starts with an L, but I can't remember what it is. Linda, Linda, and Lane, and right, Lance. Uh, his mom sent a note to him on Valentine's Day, I'm still interested. <laughs> this was in high school. And so they ended up from that, uh, they got married and have been in ministry all this time and have 47 children with the name L. Uh, it's first name L. Seems like it anyway. But, you know, life is risk. I mean, unless you take, a, you know, a lot of times you don't really know how a job is going to work out. You don't know how a situation is going to work out. Uh, you, you have to be willing to step out in a degree of what the Bible calls faith. But it is a risk. So how do we, how do, we do that? And, of course, we want to use reasonable, not foolish risk. Not risk for the sake of uh, excitement. But but risk to accomplish good. So, uh, Matthew chapter 14. He's fed the 5,000. Jesus says to them, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. So, uh, they're at a place on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee near Bethsaida, they believe. Uh, so, it's not like it's this direct east-west, but it's in the arc of the top of the Sea of Galilee. And... Uh, they're on one side of the ark at the top, and they're going to go to the other side, which is Capernaum, which is his hometown. Uh, he's not living in Nazareth at this point. He lives in Capernaum. Uh, so he's going to, he's moving across the top of the Sea of Galilee, what he's telling them to do. So he tells them to get in the boat. He's trying to separate the disciples from what is coming in, what is happening. The, they want to make him king. And one of the things that Jesus is establishing here is that he has not come to establish an earthly kingdom. They don't, they don't get that. His disciples don't get that. Because even in the last week of his death, uh, the mother of James and John came to Jesus and said, Lord, will you give me what I ask of you? And he says, what do you want? He said, will you have my sons? One's the, when you come into your kingdom, would one sit on your right hand and one sit on your left hand when you come into your kingdom? And she's fully expecting that this is a 
physical, political kingdom. And not a spiritual, eternal kingdom. So, so he's trying to separate the disciples from this mentality, this we're going to make him king, uh, because it's not time. Verse 20, and after he'd sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. Jesus also wanted to protect himself from the temptation of being made king by the people. This was one of the temptations, you'll remember, that Satan threw at him uh, in the wilderness and is tempting him again with ruling and reigning in a temporal sense, in a temporary sense. What's true of every earthly kingdom? It's temporary, right? Every earthly kingdom is temporary. Nothing lasts forever. So Jesus did not come to build a temporary kingdom. Uh, In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, we see the temptation that Satan tried to uh, trap Jesus with. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he tried to tempt him with an earthly kingdom. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Uh, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God only. Because Jesus didn't come to establish a temporal kingdom, but an eternal kingdom. And the way he was coming to establish that kingdom is, it was unorthodox. It was not what people were expecting. In Matthew 20, this is what Jesus said. Jesus, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' kingly role is to die for our sins. What he's going to do as king, his kingly ministry as a king of kings and lord of lords is that he's going to give his life as a ransom, a payment for our sins. He's going to pay the debt of our sins with his life. So as a king, it's not that he's going to come and rule over Caesar and rule over the the nations of the world and make those nations at that time bow down, which is what everyone wanted. He came not to just establish a temporary, temporal, earthly kingdom, but an eternal kingdom that in doing so, what he did in that kingdom is that he brought us into an eternal kingdom. Instead of just changing this kingdom, he brought us through his death and resurrection into his eternal kingdom, not just a temporary, temporary temporal kingdom. Satan's always selling shortcuts. Satan's always selling shortcuts. He's always pushing the fast and the easy. Instead of what is often Jesus' road to the cross was also Uh, hard. Verse 24, but the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now you have to think about this. This had been an exciting day for these guys. They had experienced this tremendous miracle firsthand. They had participated in this miracle of seeing Jesus take five loaves and two fish 
and then multiply that, physically multiply that loaves and fish to be enough to feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So is it 10,000? Is it 15,000? Is it 7,000? It's at least 5,000. If it's just 5,000 people, that's incredible, right? So they've participated in this, this amazing miracle. It's an exciting day. It's, it's been also an exhausting day. You can imagine what it was like to distribute food to 5,000 people. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you know, if you've ever, they're not just cooking it, they're just trying to just distribute it is a big deal. And then afterwards, Jesus said, now listen, I want you to pick up the, the leftovers that none be lost. So not only did they have, did they have to uh, cater the party, they had to clean up. Nobody wants to clean up. And so they're cleaning up, and that, that has to be an exhausting ordeal. They get to the end of the day, and Jesus says, uh, I'm, I want you to get in this boat immediately, and they're rowing to the other side, and they're rowing against the wind. In other words, it's, it's, it's hard. And they've already had a hard day. And here's the reality that we always have to kind of wrap our minds around is that uh, sometimes we get the mentality that God owes us easy days. Jesus often asks us to do hard things that takes us to the limits, our limits, emotionally and physically. He often asks us to do that. And so the big question would be, why does he do that? There's a couple of things. One, because he knows what we don't. He knows what we don't. He knows the future. Don't you wish you knew the future? It probably wouldn't be healthy for us if we did. But we don't, we don't know the next moment. But God does. He knows what you're going to face next year, next month. He knows the problems that are coming your way. And so he knows what it's going to take to prepare you to build the emotional and physical strength to be ready for the next big challenge that's going to come. So he will often allow us to go, send us through, put us in a boat and say, row all night. When we'd rather say, can't we just sit here and rest? This isn't fair. Right? He knows, he knows that this is, a, this is a tough part of the journey. He knows that the journey of, ahead for these disciples, he knows that what they're going to face is going to be even more difficult than this. He knows as followers of Christ, he knows that when he dies on the cross for their sins and is resurrected, he knows that that's a glorious day, but it's also a difficult time for them. And he knows what's coming. They don't know what's coming. And he's using this as he uses everything. God doesn't waste anything. And as a matter of fact, God takes things and makes it, makes it his slave. Because Roman tells us that God uses everything for our good. So the, and we in that 
If you read that whole chapter of Romans chapter 8 where he's talking about how God uses all things for our good, he says, what shall separate from the love of Christ shall death, tribulation, distress, persecution. He says, no, in all the things we're more than conquerors. How can you be more than a conqueror? You can conquer and be victorious, but how can you be more than a conqueror? In Christ, what Christ does is what the enemy means for harm, God makes it more than a conqueror and he uses it for good. What the enemy sent is trouble, God uses as a sword to cut away fear. What the, what the, what the enemy sends is temptation, God sends as a sword of the Spirit to cause us to trust him more. So that we become not destroyed by it, but made stronger by it because we're more than conquerors. James even says it this way, the brother of Christ who was killed with the sword says this, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, all kinds of trials, all kinds of stuff. What kind, what kind of stuff's coming? All kinds of stuff's coming. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He's saying, I want, I want this trial to have a result to cause you to mature and grow up. To trust him more. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. I mean, just think about that. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, they definitely see something coming towards them. It looks like somebody. But, you know, on this boat are several veteran fishermen. I used the term seamen a couple of weeks ago, and it caused all the junior high boys to giggle. So all the sailors or men of the sea. I had to prove to Landon Perry that that was a real word. Anyway. See, I'm saying crazy stuff. Okay. Uh, so these are experienced men of the sea. They've seen all kinds of stuff. They've never seen anybody walking on the water. They don't know what's happening. They don't know how to explain it. We're always, we always try to put, when we see something, we try to wrap our minds around it and come up with an explanation that fits in with our belief system or what we have experienced. They've never seen anything like this. They've never experienced anything like this. There is so, definitely something walking towards them, and it is not in the water. It is on the water. They've seen a lot of things in the water. They've never seen anything on the water. And something is walking towards them on the water, and because they don't know what it is, it would frighten you and I. It frightened them. What's that coming towards us? I don't know, but it's on the water. How's that possible? 
It's not possible. So who is it? I don't know. It must be a ghost. So they believe it's, you know, some spirit, some departed spirit. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Which was good to hear, right? Now here's, here's, here's something I see from this is that uh, Jesus came to them and at first he was, first of all, he was unexpected. They didn't expect Jesus to show up this way. Right? They thought they were going to get to the shore and Jesus was going to have to do the long walk around. But yet here he is taking the shortcut. <laughs> and he's going to beat him to the other side, but he stops to help him. So it's totally unexpected. And a lot of times Jesus will show up in unexpected ways. Jesus will show up in unexpected ways and will be unrecognizable. They did not recognize him. Because God uses all kinds of things and situations to work together for our good. Sometimes the things that God uses are not recognizable as God's work until in retrospect you see that God was in that. God brought that person to me. Yeah, they didn't look much like Jesus. They didn't act like much like Jesus, but God used them. When, uh, when, we, uh, when Eric went in to have the stent put in the first time, 10 days ago, 12 days ago, something like that. If you ever, you know, if you ever have a loved one going into surgery, for, for me, uh, it's when you go through those double doors and you say goodbye to them. And they roll them through that. I, I, we've, I've only done that with, my, with Logan in his eye surgeries. That was really tough when he was a little baby. And you kiss him and say goodbye and uh, pray for him. And they roll them through the, the doors of surgery. And uh, it's an emotional time. And uh, as they did that with Eric, we were all emotional. And no, no one more than Crystal, who's bearing the load of this, as his wife. There was a little nurse there. It just, you know, I, I bet she wasn't five foot two. Little, little nurse there, and she, she grabbed hold of Crystal, and she said, we got this. Said, we're... We're going to be praying, but the people that are doing this know what they're doing. This guy's one of the best there is at this. So I don't want you to be afraid because this is going to be all right. And just in that moment, just in that moment, she was Jesus. I mean, she wasn't recognizable as Jesus, but she came with faith and a word of encouragement in a word of hope, 
And what you'll find is that if you'll listen, if you'll be listening, that God's going to use unlikely people to speak to you. It will not always be recognizable in the moment that that's Jesus. The person who's speaking to you may not even be a believer. They may not have faith, but God's not going to waste it. He's going to use it. He'll use it to direct you and help you see that even though he's not recognizable, he's there. He said, you know, it's me, guys. Hey, guys, it's me. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. And then Peter said to him, Lord, if it's, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Totally crazy thought. I'm not sure it's you, but if it is you, command me to come. If it's not you and you command me to come, this is not going to work out very well. But if it is you and you command me to come, why? I mean, just think about that. I mean, what made him even think that? You know, what made him think? Well, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. And Jesus said, come on. Do it. No one else got to try because no one else asked. Right? No one else, as far as I know, I've never read of any accounts of this. No one else in the history of the world that I know of has walked on water but Jesus and Peter. Two people. And one because he asked, hey, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come. So the Lord says, come on. Now you think about it. Peter got out of the relative safety of the boat. And I say relative safety because safety is an illusion. You're not safe. All life is risk. You understand that. As long as you're alive, there's risk. There's no no guarantee that any of us are going to live until tomorrow. Charlie Weiss on Friday was driving in from work, driving uh, to go to a gathering, and in an instant, a person crossed the center line, and he had a head-on collision at 60 miles an hour. A lot of you know Charlie. Charlie's been part of this church for a long time. And he's, uh, he's got four, four broken ribs. He's got a couple of cracked vertebrae in his back and in his neck. But amazingly, he is alive. It's amazing. And you know what just happened? It, it just, he said, it just happened. He's like, Boom, and it's done. He didn't get to swerve. You know, they just were in his lane, and he hit them. And uh, we, we all deal with that every day, whether we acknowledge it or not. It's the reality. Life is not safe. It's not safe. So God calls us into risk. He calls us to take risk. He, Jesus is pleased when we get out of the safety of our boats and join him in doing what he's doing. 
He's pleased. He was pleased. He was pleased when Peter said, Lord, if it's you come, he said, come on. He's pleased when we, by faith, join him in what he is doing. When we step out of the safety of our boats, often we're so afraid, we're so paralyzed, we're, we're, we're so afraid of the risk, but risk is the only way forward in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is always built on faith. When Noah built a boat, when it hadn't rained, that was a risk. Think about it. When Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees to go to a land, and these are the specific directions God gives him, to the place I'll show you. Like, where are we going? I'll let you know when you get there. What? What kind of direction is that? I mean, don't you want to know the outcome before you start? I mean, I want to know where we're going before we start. I don't want to get in the car and say, where are we going? We'll just, when we'll know when we get there. That's a risk. When the Jews left Egypt for the promised land, it was a risk. When David faced Goliath, that was a risk, Right? When Gideon was outnumbered by the enemy armies and the Lord just used him to defeat all the armies. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue, it was a risk. When Daniel wouldn't stop praying, it was a risk. When Jeremiah wouldn't stop prophesying, it was a risk. When the disciples wouldn't stop preaching in Jesus' name, they said, we're going to throw you into prison. They said, do whatever you got to do. We got to do what we got to do. It was a risk. The kingdom of God always moves forward. Our lives always move forward on faith, not on fear. Fear will hold you back from reaching the potential that God has for you. It will keep you from doing the things God wants you to do, and it will keep you from taking the steps to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish because you are paralyzed by fear. We're so afraid we're going to fail that we don't even give it a chance. And here's the reality. You may fail. But it's better to fail and attempt than to do nothing. To be paralyzed by fear. God doesn't want you paralyzed by your fears. Some of you, there are so many more things that God wants to accomplish in your life, but when he calls you to do it, it always scares you to death. And so you let your fears win. God wants to help us overcome our fears. He wants us to be people of courage. He wants us to overcome those things that are holding us back. The fear of failure. The fear of embarrassment. See, God is pleased when we, when, we, when we recognize the limitations of our ability, but we put our trust in him and say, you know, I, this is beyond my ability, but I believe this is what God's called us to do. Let's do it. Let's trust God in his strength to enable us to do it. Let's believe God. And so Peter gets out of the boat he jumps out of the boat, onto the water, onto the water, you know, 
But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. Now, there's a couple of things at work here that I think. First of all, you can't see wind. Right? So he wasn't seeing the wind. He's seeing the results of the wind. He's seeing the waves being pushed by the winds. He's seeing the results of the wind, and he's frightened by the waves. So he, he was walking to Jesus, but in the midst of that, he gets distracted. And it says, and he began to sink. How does that work? Something's happening here, right? Because you don't begin to sink. You either sink or you don't. Right? So the Lord is, is letting him sink. The Lord is letting him sink, but he's letting him sink slowly enough that he'll cry out and say, Lord, help me. Because if, if the Lord's not slowing down the process, you don't have time to get out, Lord, help me. You're just walking, you're just going to be walking and be going, boom. It's like, where'd Peter go? He sunk. But he didn't sunk. He was sinking. And in his sinking, he cried out to the Lord and he said, Lord, help me. He cried out to the Lord and the Lord helped. And he said, and, and Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? He didn't say, why'd you get out of the boat for? What'd you try when nobody else wanted to try? He didn't say that, did he? He doesn't reprimand him for trying. He says, he reprimands him for, in the midst of it, for taking his eyes off Jesus and looking at the waves and seeing the waves as bigger than Jesus, seeing the waves as a bigger problem than Christ's ability to sustain him on the waves. And so in doing so, he panics, and he begins to sink, and the Lord reaches out to save him. You can't do it alone. This is one of the things I think the Lord's teaching them. But you can always do it when the Lord's got a hold of your hand. And here's the good news. The Lord has got a hold of your hand. And he's not going to let you go. And when they got in the boat and the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, you are certainly God's son. They were like, you know what they're all thinking? Why didn't we do that? Why didn't we? We could have, we could have, every, any one of us gotten out there with Peter on the water. Why did we let him do that and we didn't try that? You know, they, living with that regret, oh, I should have taken that risk and I didn't do it. I should have taken the chance. I should have done it. I didn't do it. I was afraid to do it. So we have to be careful. We have to we have to be aware of the fears that are holding us bondage. The fears that are keeping us from stepping out in faith and trusting God. The fear that is bigger than Jesus to us. Because 
if it's not bigger than Jesus, then we believe we can do it. When he got distracted and looked at the waves, instead of looking at Jesus, he began to sink. And we have to, we have to say, Lord, what is it that, that's got a hold of me? What fears am I allowing to restrict my ability to follow you? The Lord wants to help us defeat our fears so we can step out in faith. To move forward in the kingdom of God, it requires faith. I mean, life requires faith. You think about it. I mean, why'd you have all those kids? You couldn't afford them. Can you afford children? No, you, that, you said that very powerfully. No. No, they're expensive. And it's hard to raise them. It's a challenge. And marriage, marriage is not what you thought it was going to be. And it takes faith and risk to continue to move forward. Lord, deliver us from our fears. Amen? Let's stand. I want you to just close your eyes for just a moment. I just want you to think about those areas in your life where Jesus is asking you to get out of the boat. Where you need to step out in faith. Is it, is it to serve in some area that would be a challenge for you, would be hard for you, but yet it's something that God is calling you to do. He wants you to serve in some area. He wants you to take a risk of faith for the good of the kingdom of God. He wants you to step out and trust his ability greater than your ability. You recognize that you are not strong, but he is. You recognize that you're not able, but that he is able to make you able. That if you'll be available... He's able to empower you. So some of you today, I'm just praying that today God will break the chains of fear that are holding you back, that are keeping you from the promise, that are keeping you from the work of God that he's called you to do. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would break the chains of fear as we cry out, Lord, help me. Lord, it's bigger than me. It's more difficult than me. And Lord, we don't know what to do. But Lord, our, our eyes are on you. Lord, help us to trust you. I pray that you would break the fear of embarrassment. The fear of failure that keeps us from trying. Lord, because we want to move forward in the kingdom of God. We want to make progress. We want to trust you more. Because we want to be more than conquerors in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.